This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. If you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand? Our ushers would gladly get you a Bible. Once you get a Bible, go with me to the book of Exodus chapter 20. We're still in our series here on uh, an enemy called Average, but you're going to Exodus chapter 20. I'm, I'm looking, these lights hit me and sometimes I can't see very good. It's one honor. Where, where are you at, Elias? Are you in here? Where are we pointing at? There he is. Stand up. Wave to us back there. No, stay, keep standing. Look at him. The handsome young man. We're, we're honoring him. The reason, the reason I'm doing that is he just went through boot camp as a Marine. So God bless you, man. Way to go. We're proud of you. We're proud of you here. Glad to see all of you here today. Again, there's others that I, I need to probably acknowledge, but I can't see you, so we better move on. All right, back to Exodus 20. We're, we're in this series here, and I, I'm just going to tell you today, today's not an easy one, but I believe it'll help you to locate you in some areas of our, our lives. So before we get going, let me ask you the question, do you serve God for His presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E? Do you serve God for His presence, for who He is? Or do you serve God for His presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-E-N-T-S? I had to think there. In other words, what He can do for me. See, again, if I'm not careful, the only reason I serve God is what He can do for me. But God's desire is that we serve Him for who He is. And so there's a huge difference on this. So let's begin this morning here in Exodus 20. Verse number 1, and once you get there, you'll find out real quick. This is the Ten Commandments. Big deal to God. Not a little deal. This is a big deal to God. This is God's top ten. So we begin in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I can read that, but understand this. There's, there's a clash day by day for the throne of your heart. And as you look at this, what he said here, you may say, ah, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It's, it's a huge deal to God because God's character demands loyalty. It demands it. Now, there's some words in here that I want to get to this morning that will really begin to paint the picture. But keep reading with me here in verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that in the earth beneath, or that in the water under earth. You, not, you shall not bow down nor serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. And when you read that about Father God, he's a jealous God. Do you know that's one of his covenant names? God doesn't want to share you with anybody, okay? He wants you to be all his because he's all yours. And so when you look at what he said here, there is no other God. There's no other applications. So let me highlight something here real quick. No other thing or no other person can replace God. And so in saying that right now, 
when I stop looking at God as being first and I start expecting another person or thing to do what only God can do, I've made that other thing or that other person an idol. You know what an idol is? Anything that you put above God. Now we're going to get into this a lot more toward the end of the service, but I want you to think about that right there. God is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share you. So now turn to your right to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 6. Chapter number 6, and I'm going to give you some instructions here, biblically, on what God's desire is, not only for you, but for your household. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, and that you may observe in the, in the land which you are crossing over to possess. Now, if you'll get something there, he commanded two things, to teach you, but also for you to observe it. So again, it's one thing for me to understand or hear the Word of God. It's a complete other thing for me to obey the Word of God. The only way the Word of God benefits me is for me to actually obey it. Verse 2. And you may fear the Lord your God. The greatest way I believe the fear of the Lord is, is revealed is in my obedience. You shall fear the Lord your God to keep all the statutes and commandments which I command you. Now watch this. Here's an assignment. You and your son and your grandson all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. Now, if you read what he said there, he said, all the days of your life. Serving God is not just a Sunday thing. It's all the days of your life. It's day by day by day by day. And if you'll note there, I'm to obey the law. I'm to teach my sons that. And also, even my grandsons. So when you read what he's talking about there, God doesn't want you, and he does to a degree, but he doesn't want you to spend your life teaching him about spelling tests, math tests, but he wants you to teach him about a thing called the PhD of life, and that is learning to obey the commandments of God. And so when you look at what he's talking about here, and I want my kids to look to God. I want my kids to understand how to live a godly life. And so when we have children in our lives, we think about this. And many of you will remember the first day you had a son or a daughter born to you. It was a great day. And then you begin to see them progress in life. They begin to learn how to walk. And they begin to learn how to talk. And some of them you would wish they would have never learned how to talk because they talk too much. And then when they're in those young years, you wonder if they'll ever get to school. And they do. And they go through elementary into junior high, and you begin to see their little personalities being shaped and formed, and their character being shaped and formed. And, and then you wonder about, man, are they going to be in my house forever? But 18 goes fast, guys. And so I like to say it this way. The first 18 years of your child's life is dress rehearsal for life. And every one of us in here, we have the opportunity 
to impact our children and our grandchildren. And we teach them how to, to observe the things of God and to learn to obey the things of God. Now, I will tell you this, Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, train up your children in the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart. Your job is to train them up. But if you've trained them up, here's a verse you may want to write down. This is Isaiah 54, 11. It says, the seed of the word of God shall not return void. And so again, you get the word in them, and that word of God that's on the inside of them, it will not return void. Verse 3. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well, be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God. Your Father has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. So again, we say, man, God wants to be good to us. But it hinges on my obedience. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's the only one. There is no other applications to be God but this one right here. The everlasting God, the Hebrew God. There is no other God but Him. Now, here's what I want to highlight here in, in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6. Most of the Jewish commentaries will say this. This is the most important text in all of the Old Testament. Verses 4 through 6. The word God in verse 4 in the Hebrew text is in plural. Literally stated, the Godhead, three in one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is where every bit of verses 4 through 6 point to. That's why it's the most important verse in all the Old Testament. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today, they shall be in your heart. Got to get them in your heart. You got to file, uh, file them in the filing cabinet of your heart. Get them in here. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently or thoroughly to your children. And you shall talk to them when you sit in your house. The New Living says you'll repeat them again and again and again and again. So if you're a mother or a father, this is your assignment. And when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them the word of God as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so when you read Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9 there, you really find out real quick, the Word of God's a big deal to God. And it's such a big deal, he said, you got to get these in your kid's heart. You gotta write them on your walls of your you gotta get them over and over, day by day by day by day, you teach them. Now turn to your left to the book of Genesis, chapter 18. Genesis chapter number 18. And we get back into a passage that we've been in several times in the last few weeks. Actually, the next two passages, we're going to go to Genesis 18 and Genesis 22. These are two passages we've set on, and I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart, God's really wanting to get this on the inside of us. But when you study Genesis 18, 
This is where there was the region called Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you'll remember last week, the Lord said this, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah has become so great because their sin is so grievous. And so what was going on in this area called Sodom had got heaven's attention and it got God's attention so much that he's having to make a decision, do I destroy it? So we pick up Genesis 18, verse 17. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing or what I'm about to do? Now again, the reason he says this again, because he's on the verge of destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. But it's interesting that he says about this man named Abraham, he said, i I got to show him or tell him what I'm about to do. That's a big deal, guys, because you don't find that that often in the Bible where God says, you know what, I, I'm going to go to a human being and tell him what's getting ready to happen. So when we read that, we may have the thought, that, that was just coincidental. It wasn't coincidental. The more I studied this man who was referred to as Father Abraham, the more you'll begin to see over and over in the Scriptures why God called him a friend of his. Now, Keep reading here with me in verse 18 and watch what takes place. Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, he's going to become a, a legacy. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Better stated, they'll be blessed because of what Abraham does. Now remember, rewind, rewind. If we were to go to Genesis 12, God spoke to him immediately and said, Listen here, Abe. You got to get out of your country. You got to get away from your family. You got to get away from your father's house. So when you see those things, understand this God preferred obeying, or, or God looked at Abraham. He said, That guy prefers obeying me over any other thing. Now, verse 19 is going to give us a great nugget on why Abraham was so special to God. Verse 19. For I have known him. I have known him. Didn't say I've known about him. It says I've known him. How do you know somebody? You've got to spend time with them. You've got to hang out with them. You see him day by day by day. But he says I've known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him. That he may command his children and his household after him. Keep reading. That they, his children and his household, they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness or what's right in God's eyes and justice or what's just in God's eyes that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. I don't know if you picked all that up right there, but he said, the reason this guy is going to be a great and mighty nation is because I know what he'll command his children to do. Now, what's interesting right there, a lot of that will cross-reference back into Deuteronomy 6, what we just read. So the difference in this guy named Abraham and, and the, seed of the, uh, the seed of the Sodom's wickedness was what God would, or what Abraham would teach his children and what the people of Sodom wouldn't teach their children. So again, if I don't teach my children the things of God, 
where do you think they're going to end up? One reveals his values to what he teaches his children. One reveals his values by how he keeps and observes the things of God. So if you're not teaching and modeling God's word to your children, they will ultimately go in the very path of the wickedness that the children of Sodom went in. Sure got quiet in here. So here's a great question for you today. What's being modeled in your home right now? What's being modeled in your home? Monkey see, monkey do. And so again, I've got to understand this. God has called you and me to be the models of our house. And whether we like it or not, our children will follow the paths of the model that we lay out. How do you know that? Well, just study generational iniquities and you'll begin to see it very clearly. Now, turn just a little bit to Genesis chapter 22. Just a little to your right. We've been in this passage right here a bunch. Before I jump into that, I'm going to give you a little illustration here, but I want you to see something as we step in here. I want you to imagine that I've got a, a, a bicycle wheel right here before me. And you know, within, inside the wheel is all the spokes. Picture this right here, that every spoke on that wheel represents the people in your life that put significance in you or had great impact on influence in you. So let's, let's really go back in life here a little bit. This spoke here would be my grandfather. This spoke here could be a grandmother. This spoke here of influence would be my father. This spoke here would be my mother. Cousins, aunts, uncles. This spoke right here would be my siblings. This spoke here would be a teacher. This spoke here would be a coach. This spoke here would be a friend. This spoke here would be a boss. So again, we could keep going around here and we could look and say, okay, what molded me to the point that it influenced me to live in a certain way? The problem with that right there is oftentimes we view God as just another spoke in our life. But God's not the spoke in our life. God has to be the hub of our life. And anytime we get that out of order and we treat God just like another spoke, it's going to cause issues. Because remember, he said, I'm a jealous God. I love you. Now, I'm not saying here people don't influence you. But if you don't get your information and you don't get your way of life from God, then you're going to follow after man. And when you follow after man, you're going to get in trouble. So what am I telling you? Man, we better follow after God. So as we go into this passage right here, I'm going to ask you a question here. The greatest gifts in our lives become the greatest tests in our lives. 
And here's the question. What if you were asked to prove your love and your commitment to God? Would it be greater than anything or anyone? Now I'm setting you up, okay? Would my love and my commitment to God be greater than anything or anyone? So we pick back up in Genesis 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And we've been on this numerous times. God tested Abraham. You know what the test was there for? It would reveal what's priority and what's number one in, in, in your life and my life. Now I'm going to say us in here because in the book of Proverbs, or not Proverbs, Psalms 11, verse 5, it says, God will test the righteous. So we begin to see here immediately that this man named Abraham, God began to test him. And, and if you were to study uh, Jewish commentary, it says this, that Abraham went through ten major tests. Not minor, majors. And so in his life, it would look this way. Test, test, test. Greatness, greatness, greatness. Test, test, test. Greatness, greatness, greatness. Every test that he went through would reveal, will you obey me regardless the uh, cost? Keep reading. And he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. Here I am. I want to highlight that just a little bit because obedience is revealed in my actions. Honor is revealed in my attitude. And so when God says to him right here, here I am, or God says, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham responds, here I am. I don't believe Abraham responded like, here I am. What do you want? When I read that, it's like, here I am. Now, in the area of obedience with my actions and honor with my attitude, I remember this clearly as a young boy growing up. That my job every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day. Every day. Never got a day off. I was to take the trash out. Before I left for school, that, that was a known law in my family. And so guess what? I had a fear of my daddy. And so I would do it. I would obey. But I didn't always obey with the greatest attitude. I remember many times going out my back gate and grumbling, mumbling, complaining. Why am I having to do this? And so when I begin to study this about this man named Abraham, not only did he obey, he took great joy in obeying. Do you know one of the Ten Commandments is God said, honor the Lord on the Sabbath? Do you know you can obey that? Now don't show your hand on this. But how many of you are mad that you had to come to church today? 
My mom and dad made me get I, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. You just flunked the test. Do you realize that? Thank God next Sunday you'll come around and you'll get a chance to, to come back around to it, okay? So again, when you begin to see this, it's very easy just to overlook a lot of the truths in here. So again, he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. Here's an interesting fact for you. That word love there is the first time the word love is used in the Old Testament. And it's interesting that he said to this man named Abraham, he said, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Now put yourself in the story here. You got kids or you may have kids down the line. What would you do if God said this to you? You know, Psalms 127.3 says, Children are a heritage or a gift from the Lord. Now watch where I'm going with this, because this is where it's going to get real interesting, okay? Every one of us in this room have children. We would do anything for the lives of our children. But the more precious and valuable anything or anyone becomes the more power it has to become an idol of my life. You know what an idol is? What I live for. What I live for. So he talks about his son. Now watch what he says to him. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him. There's a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So you know what the test was here for him? Your son. Your son. And the more I fear of losing anything, the more likely I am to worship it. So in saying that right there, can you love the gift in such a way that it makes you love the giver more? Because in this passage, the test here was, do you love the gift more than the giver? Do you love the blessing more than the one who blessed you? I said this one is, this is an interesting one of all of them to me right here. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son, he split the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place which God had told him. I highlight again. The very next morning Abraham went. He didn't delay because he knew this. The longer I delay, the more easier it will be for me to not go. And the longer I delay, the more I begin to reason. That doesn't even make sense up here, so I'm not going to do it. Let me read something into this for you right now. How many have said this recently? Man, God's been dealing with me that for day after day after day. God's been dealing with me that for weeks. God's been dealing with me that for months. Now, this may really locate you. God's been dealing with me that for years. You know what that reveals? Your lack of fear for God. Because those who fear Him will obey Him. 
So the fear of the Lord is always revealed in my obedience, but again, not just in my obedience because delayed obedience is still disobedience. So now we see another part of this right here. Let me ask you right now again, are there areas that you know God's been dealing with you? Well, when it comes to that, guess what? You don't need to pray about it. You either obey it or you don't. There's one, amen. Thank you for that one. Verse 4. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place afar off. Now, can you imagine? With his eyes, he saw. And, and as he looked and saw that hill of Moriah, the reality is going to start sinking in. The closer he got to that hill, the more he realized, this is what i got to do. Verse 5, And so Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. The word worship there literally is the moment of truth. And the word worship there, it tells us about his heart. How's that revealed? In choosing God over everything or everyone else, he's defining worship. How do you know that? Remember, he said, we're going to go up yonder and worship. We're not going to go up and sing a couple songs and come back. We're going to go up and sacrifice my son. So again, worship was revealed in his obedience to say, Father God, I'm going to obey you. So we paraphrase the story. He goes up there. He erects this altar. Throws the wood underneath it. Binds his son Isaac, throws him on the top. And then he takes the knife and he's just like this. And we remember the passage. The angel said, Abraham, Abraham. Verse 12. Now watch how the fear of the Lord revealed again. And he said to him, do not lay your hand on the ladder, do anything. For now I know that you fear God since you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Think about this. Back in Exodus. We will have no other gods before him. We will make no idols in the form of anything. Not even in the form of a beloved child. Uh-oh. So again, do I love the gift more than the giver? Now, as I read this here, man, you're talking about what separate Abraham from every other man on the earth at that time. He said, Father God, I love you more than the gift. And, and we can't overlook, God said to him in verse 2, he said, your son whom you love dearly. So again, he wasn't denying that he loved him. And was God saying neglect him? No. Was God saying to love him less? No, just differently. Remember the commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. So now you begin to see the separation. And when I read this, guess what? I fail. You know why I fail? Because at times I've loved the gift more than the giver. I've loved the blessing more than the one who blessed me. I'm just using children for example, but let me throw this in there. What about your spouse? My wife's a great blessing. 
but do I love her more than I love God? Wow. Let me ask you this. That can be in a form of people, and that can be in a form of things. Woo, we, we get that new big house. Everything's going to be great again. God's not against you having that big house, but he is against when you begin to love the gift more than the giver. Oh, pastor, if I could just win the lottery, everything would be smooth sailing. So literally, you know what you've said? That money right there will satisfy me in here. So guess what? That lottery has now become your idol. You are looking to something or someone to do for you only what Father God can do. Wow. And Pastor, this is a tough one. I told you it was. Go to the New Testament to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 14. If you had to choose between the gift or the giver, who wins? See, every one of us in here in your life is, is driven by something. I'm going to quote some scripture as you're going there. Luke 14 is where you're headed. For a man is a slave to whatever has controlled or mastered him. That can be people. That can be your family. That can be your children. That can be your spouse. Because they become the gods of your life. And that's what becomes priority and controls you. Again, I'm not saying to neglect them. But do your children, does your spouse determine what type of day you have? Better said, if my children are having a great day, I'm having a great day. If my children are happy, I'm happy. If my children are mad, I'm mad. If my wife is angry, I'm angry. If my wife is happy, I'm happy. How many of you have ever said this? I worship the ground she walks on. What did you just say? The fear of Shelly. Probably shouldn't have said that. She's not in here. This is her son-in-law, Matt Bullen, speaking today. See, again, those things begin to locate us. Even though, now, be, be truthful, I don't believe any of us would ever truly come out and say, I, I, I love my wife more than God, but do your actions prove differently? Wow. The more I love God, the more I will love my children and my spouse in a godly way. Now, there with Abraham and Isaac, that's a pretty incredible passage. And the only reason I'm saying this is because right now, click your seatbelt on here, okay? Because Jesus is going to say some things here. Luke 14, verse 25. Now, great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life. Also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, what are we going to do with that one? 
Because when I read it, it's pretty clear. But Jesus would never contradict the law. Jesus would never defy or tell us to, to hate people. So that Hebrew word right there for hate means love in a lesser form. The New Living says it this way, you must hate everyone else by comparison. So you know what Jesus was saying? You've got to love me more than anybody else. Did you notice the last one? You've got to love Jesus even more than yourself. Look at verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So you know what he's talking about here? You're going to have to die to self-centeredness. And what you see here is the very same thing that Father God said. That God's character demands loyalty and Jesus' character here demands complete allegiance. So you know what he just said? You better put me above your wife. You better put me above your kids. You better put me above yourself because anything that's above him has now become an idol. That's some heavy stuff, isn't it? And so I'm looking at this and I begin to play tug of war with God. I said, God, I don't know that I want to preach on this. You know what I heard in my heart is this right here. I would never ask you to do anything that I haven't done. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And again, I'm not saying to sacrifice your children. I'm not saying to neglect your children. But what do I do with this? What do you do with this? Here's a question. Right now, what, what's priority? What occupies the throne room to your heart? And, and is the gift more important than the giver? Because if it is, we're out of alignment somewhere. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.